box out. Oh, let's take a few minutes. It'll be fine. And I get it out, and it's just a whole mess of things. And I start doing it, and I am cursing my life as if I'm Job. It's just the worst thing in the world. I'm losing my mind, and my wife has to step in and finish putting it together for me. And the funny part about this, this is completely normal in our household. That if there's anything to do, we went on a mission trip to New Orleans last, uh, last summer, and I know some of the guys are here, Richard and uh, Brandon, and I tried to paint uh, the Partain's house, and I just plead uh, forgiveness from them for that, because I just ruined that. I am completely, when I think about it, just, I have no idea or any kind of way to start doing things like that. And on some level, that is a failure of my parents, Correct. They didn't teach me how to do some simple things in the world. Because here's the deal. We're, we're all, as we grow, we're taught to do certain things, right? We're taught, we're trained how to cook, right? How to do basic things, how to cook, how to change a tire. I can change a tire, thank you very much. How to change a tire, how to do these simple things. And here's the truth. When we're not trained to do these things, not taught how to do these things, there's consequences, Right? So in my life now, if I want to get something done in my house, I have to call Luke or my father to get something done in my house. Or I have to pay somebody to do it, worst case scenario. It's a real consequence. But I was thinking about this, and, and that's really, really funny. And I thought about most of us in this room, in the church in the West. We have been taught, trained, uh, how, to re- it's good how to read, how to do simple things like cook or change a tie or how to be a functional adult. Those are all good and right things. But in the church in the West, most of us in this room have not been trained in the ways of following Jesus. Now, what we've done in the West is we put on a lot of church services, a lot of things to bring you in, to entertain you, make you happy, make you laugh, make you smile, make you get goosebumps, those kinds of things. But we haven't trained people in the way of Jesus. And here's the truth. For thousands of years, the way Jesus did this was not big productions, big events. It was life on life, training and discipleship. These little, small, what we'd call boring things we have forgotten how to do. There is a discipleship crisis in America. We have exchanged discipleship for some kind of weird event once a week that we've taught people that they come once a week to an event that is all they need to go out and follow Jesus and here's the truth our way this series we're looking at the way of Jesus and the way to follow him versus our way right now in the west our way in the west can we say this is not working correct it's not working it is crumbling and falling apart and there's consequences to this And I'll say this, it's not just the church in the West. It's also Covenant Church. It's the people in this room. It's the pastors in this room that we ourselves, we've we've tried and said lots of good things. But we've got ways to go as we talk about training each other, equipping each other in the ways of Jesus. So last week Luke started this series on the way of Jesus. And how really there's three relationships in the way of Jesus. It's up, it's in, and it's out. As you see in this little triangle right here on the screen, you see this picture of up, in, and out. 
that Jesus modeled his life this way, right? He spent time with the Father. He did life with 12 disciples, and he went out to a watching world to bring and show and declare the good news. That was the way of Jesus, but also he commanded us to go and do likewise. Luke 10 says this, and he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. The greatest commandment is for us to go up and to love God. But he also says, and your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor, the one far away from God, the one who is hurting, who needs the good news. We love God, we love neighbor. But then in John 13, he says this in 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. We love each other. And the good days and the bad days, we love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We love up, we love in, and we love out. That is the way of Jesus that you are called to. I've got good news and bad news. Bad news first. You are called to more than just existing in up, in, and out. You're called more than just receiving these things. But here's the good news. You were called to more than just existing in these things. You were called to actually help others live these things out. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, this is Paul talking to Timothy here. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of, of, of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who also will be qualified to teach others. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 28, we've all heard this. If you've been in church before, you've heard this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Listen, we're called to live out this life of up, in, and out, but we're also called to see our life reproduced in someone else who lives their life of up, in and out. We're not called simply to exist and consume the good things of Christ. We're called to go and then make disciples of Jesus. The end is you reproducing the triangle in someone else. The end is not simply you doing these things. It's seeing someone else being trained and discipled by you to do these things. The end is life change in other people. The end is community transformation. When disciples make disciples, make disciples, make disciples, is when we see the good things of God and his kingdom spread here on earth. This is why the early church was so radical and we saw so much world change in their lifetime. Because they made disciples who knew that people and children were made in the image of God. And started caring for children that no one else wanted. And they started to have hospitals take care of the sick and schools to teach people. All these things were produced through people making disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just being a disciple, but going and making disciples. And this is why this is so important. This question of making disciples is so, so vitally important because we must make disciples in the ways of Jesus. 
We need to disciple people to grow in their character of becoming like Jesus. But not just in there, we must also train them to grow in the competency of following Jesus. That's living like Jesus. Think about it. If you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a teacher, don't raise your hand. If you want to be a teacher, and if, if you went to school and they just trained you, that they just taught you about the, the character of being a teacher, the attributes of being a teacher. Okay, you need to be patient, right? You need to be patient. You need to be engaged, an engaged person. You need to be a loving person towards kids and teenagers to be a teacher. Those three things. Now, go out and be a teacher. That's all you need to go teach. Just go, just be loving, be patient, and be engaged. You'll go out and those kids will eat you alive. Because you're just being trained in the character of being a teacher. But also you're trained in the competency of being a teacher, right? How to prepare a lesson plan. How to manage a classroom. So when you combine the character and the competency, you can go out then and be an effective teacher. It's the same way in following Jesus. You need someone in your life teaching you not just about the things of God, but how to live like Jesus. Think, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He didn't say go and pray. He said pray then like this, correct? He taught them how to suffer. There was time they couldn't cast out demons. He said, do this to cast out demons. Not just how to be like me, but how to actually do the things that I do. How to follow me. There's this image on the screen of this idea of character and competency. What you see here sometimes is people who walk in this idea of low character. The top, on the very bottom, low character. But say they have high competency. Say that you know how to do things really, really well. And I'll tell you, we've seen this in many preachers in our world, haven't we? Preachers who can, t- who can preach really well, who are full of charisma, and people love them, but they have low character. They have low character. They have n- no kind of foundation in who God is. They have a-, a chance to do a lot of harm in people's lives. You could be a person in this room who has sent in a leadership of someone who has very, very low character, but has great gifts, and you bear the scars from the harm they have done. If we just train folks in how to do things, but not in who God is, there is great chance for harm. But also, if we just train in character, but nothing on competency, here's the deal. If it's just in character, some good will happen because it's a good thing to become like Christ, but there'll be limited kingdom breakthrough. But the goal for us is to see this thing lived out. We're trained in the character and the competency of Jesus. And from there, we can see unlimited transformation, unlimited kingdom breakthrough. But this character and this competency is only trained in the context of a discipleship relationship with another person. You only learn these things. Listen, your character is grown as someone in your life is holding you accountable, Right? That's how our character has grown. But also, we also grow in competency and we're trained how to do things by someone else teaching us how to pray, how to love our enemies, how to bear through suffering. As someone teaches us how to do these things, we grow in the character and the competency of Jesus. That's why we're here. That's why we're in this series, The Way of Jesus. But the question is, where do we start? Where do we start? Because our way... The Western way, which is basically try to come to church maybe a few times a month. If you can, give something. Maybe you listen to a podcast, you'll do something along these lines. But that's all that we need. 
Just do that and you'll be fine. That way cannot hold up us loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. With loving the church like brothers and sisters in Christ. And going out and loving the world as Christ loved us. It can't support us going out and making disciples. That way is a faulty foundation. That way lacks power in our lives. Today I want to look at the foundation for the way that we interact with Jesus and the power behind our life with Christ. Today, I believe, is the starting point of our faith and how we persevere in our faith. Let's go to John 14. We're going to look at this whole chapter today, and as quickly as we can. John 14, verse 1. This is Jesus, his discussion with his disciples. This is after the Last Supper. He is getting ready to go to the cross. And this is kind of almost his goodbyes to his followers. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas asking, what are you talking about? How can we follow you, Jesus? This is what he says. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Verse 8, Philip said to him then, Lord, show us the Father. Philip, are you listening to Jesus at all right here? Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. If you just do this, Jesus, then we are good. This is not good for him. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works of themselves. And both parts here, with Thomas and with Philip, Thomas says, where are we going? And, and, and Philip's saying, I want to see the Father. Jesus responds the same. He says, look and follow me. Look and follow me. You will find the Father's house, and you will find the Father. Look to me. And now I keep going. He unpacks what this looks like, what his way looks like. Verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Underline that. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. The Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Underline that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, 
even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Underline that. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Underline that, please. I'm being very directive today, aren't I? <laughs> and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Underline that, please. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Amen. Five times. There's a lot to unpack here. It's a lot, right? We can't do this whole thing today. But there's two things I want us to see here, the first is right here, is how to love God. We're given the greatest commitment, right, to love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, correct? And we see here from Jesus how to love him, what active faith and love looks like. Five times. There's five times he shows in this passage that loving God is obeying his commandments. That loving God is obeying his commandments. Like the language of God, of love with God, is obeying his commandments. See, the issue with our disobedience, with us disobeying, it's not the outward act, but what it's doing, it's revealing what we truly love. I read this quote this week. I don't know who said it. I, can't, I couldn't find who said it, but I loved it. It says, lovers, we remain, but we're twisted. Our love misdirected and perverted. We're created to love God. We turn to love ourselves and anything but God. And this is just what we see in the original sin of Adam and Eve. Eve takes and eats the forbidden fruit because of a love for herself. And gaining wisdom for herself has overcome any love that she might have had for God. Augustine, the church father, says this. Knowing God... To be the triune God of love. He held that we were not created simply to live under his moral code. Hoping for some paradise where he will never be. We were made to find our rest and satisfaction in his all-satisfying fellowship. Moreover, our problem is not so much that we have behaved wrongly, but that we have been drawn to love wrongly. Obedience and loving God are linked obedience and loving God are linked. Let's go back to John 14. He says here in verse um, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Obedience is the sign that you trust and you love your father. This in a sense, sense is the dance of the Godhead. Look at John 14, verse 31. 
at the end of this kind of passage here, he says this right here. But I do, Jesus, he does, as the Father has commanded me. So isn't it true that we think of commandments as like, you know, this, this kind of duty this kind of thing that we have to do. It's like joyless. It's like this obligation for us to do. But I want you to listen. Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, does not see the phrase commandments and obedience in the same way that we do today. He says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Obedience is the language of love with our God. Rise, let us go from here. You see this also from Jesus in the garden. Right before his death, he is praying so much. He is, ble- he is bleeding. He is praying so much, right? He is sweating blood. And he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Michael Reeves says this. God's innermost being is an outgoing, loving, life-giving being. The triune God is an ecstatic God. He is not a God who hoards his life, but one who gives it away. As he would show in that supreme moment of his self-revelation on the cross, the Father finds his very identity in giving his life and being to the Son. And the Son images his Father in sharing his life with us through the Spirit. When we are loving and submitting to God through hearing and obeying and walking in the way of Jesus, just as Jesus obeyed and submitted to the Father. Obedience and, and submission is not seen as oppressive within the Godhead, within the Trinity. It's not. It's the language of love within the Trinity. It's this beautiful act of love. The beauty of, of us living a life. Let's go to Matthew 7 very quickly. Because we see this idea of hearing and obeying all throughout Jesus' message. In Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, where he tells us to love our enemies, bless are the peacemakers, turn the other cheek, do not store up all these things for you on this earth. After, at the end of this, after do not worry, he says right here in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine, and listen friends, today in the West, we hear the words of God in any way that we want to who hears the words of mine and does them, who hears and obeys, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The posture is we follow in the way of Jesus. The very core, the essence, the practice that Jesus modeled for us is to hear and obey our Father in heaven. To hear and obey. The beauty of this, of of hearing and obeying, is that when we hear and we obey and revel in the love of God, in the love of the Godhead, we get to participate and dance in the love of the Trinity. That they are always obeying and submitting to one another. We join that beautiful, beautiful dance. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Because if it was just this idea of, okay, it's now your job to hear these words and go out and do these words. If that was it, we will be left hopeless, correct? But here's the beauty. God keeps moving in. God keeps moving in. Think about this. 
God created us, humanity, right? We run. Create us, we run. So God then sends Abraham and Moses. What do we do? We run. So God sends kings for the people of God. What do they do? They run. Then God sends prophets. What do they do? They run. Then God sends himself. What, what, what do we do? We run. But God keeps moving closer and closer and closer, even though we run and rebel over and over again, till it ends with this right here. Look at verse 16. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Let's keep going. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, Jesus, and he will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you'll know that I am in my, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This indwelling of God and his people. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, who hears and obeys, he it is who loves me. The language of love is hearing and obeying. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And here it comes. I will love him and manifest myself to him. There is this miraculous, beautiful thing that we cannot explain. As we put active faith, active faith in love is hearing and obeying God's ways. That's active faith. If we are never actually obeying the things of God, that is fruitless faith. That is fake faith. But true faith in love when we have tasted and seen the Lord is good and we sell everything we have for that treasure in the field, that kind of faith that leads to obedience, when we see that, something miraculous happens. The people of God, God moves further in and indwells his people. Friends, that is the way. Our way of kind of this outward kind of doing these things for God is so, it's just weak compared to the beauty and the miraculous nature of the eternal, creator, sovereign, holy, perfect, loving God and dwelling, messed up Jason Wood. Isn't that incredible today? And we've exchanged that for something else. Michael Reeves wrote a great book, write this down, Delighting in the Trinity. I would encourage you, all of you to read it. It's a bit of a heavy read, but it's really good. He says this, in fact, the more Trinitarian the salvation, the sweeter it is. For it is not just that we are brought before the Father and the Son. We receive the Spirit with which he, he was anointed. Jesus said in John 16, For the Spirit will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Spirit takes what is the Son's and makes it ours. When the Spirit rests upon the Son at his baptism, Jesus heard the Father declare from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. But now that the same spirit, hear this, of sonship rests on me, the same words apply to me. Think about your week this week. And how many times you have blown it this week, correct? Just me? Okay. Because I've blown it this week. And through this kind of weak faith I have in Christ, right? Not perfect faith. Just the faith that I have. 
that I am carrying along trying to hear and obey. Through that, the Spirit of God indwells me. And the Father is saying in you, I am well pleased through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because God keeps moving in. Keep going. As Jesus says to the Father in John 17, 23, You have loved them even as you have loved me. And so as the Son brings me before his Father with their spirit in me, I can boldly cry, Abba, for their fellowship I now freely share. The Most High, my Father, the Son, my great brother, the Spirit, no longer Jesus' comforter alone, but also mine. See what's happening here? When we love, we hear and obey. He sends the Spirit to indwell us, which leads us to this great communion with the Godhead, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, correct? It's this communion, the Word of God is always present in us and helping. The Spirit is helping us understand God's Word, right? He's teaching us the Word of God. He's declaring to us the Word of God because now the Word, the Spirit, indwells in us. This is why Jesus said it was better for him to leave in John 16. Because he knew the Spirit was coming to indwell. God in you, helping you, reminding you, teaching you, bringing the Word of God to life in you. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work... Satan's work, the work that we fight against, is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. When we, receive, when we have active faith... Hearing and obeying kind of faith, we receive the Holy Spirit. And what happens as we grow in our walk with Christ, as we grow in this relationship with God, we become more attuned to the Spirit of God. Let me just pause for a moment and just say this. As we talk about the Spirit of God, like the, and sometimes, you know, we kind of come from a Baptist circle around here, and we mention the Holy Spirit, we all get, get kind of quiet, right? Like, oh, what's going on here? God the Father, yes. God the Son, amen. God the Spirit, okay. That's cool, I guess. Um, but there is something, I will tell you, that is mysterious about this, isn't there? For us to sit with a lot of confidence and say, okay, this is how it works. There's point A, there's point B, there's point C, there's point D. There is something that is supernatural, that is mysterious, but I'll hear this also, that is powerful about the Spirit of God indwelling us and resting upon us. Something very beautiful about that. Because here's what happens. Just crazy, miraculous things. You start living with hope. You start living with joy. Many times we think the Spirit of God is all about revelation. Learning these new things that no one knows. And I guess that's part of it. But mostly it's about relationship. That as we learn this practice of hearing and obeying, hearing and obeying, Hearing the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to us. Because it's not this idea where we get indwelled with the Spirit, and at that moment, God ceased to speak to us. God is completely near to us and indwelling in us and is speaking to us through everything that we're walking through. So we must learn this practice. We must 
if we see here that the idea that God will manifest his spirit in us as we love and obey him, we must learn this practice. How do, how do I tomorrow or, and you tomorrow learn the practice of simply hearing and obeying the voice of God? Here is a tool that many of you have seen before that I've shared with many of you. Maybe you haven't seen, but I want to share again today to help us begin to learn how to hear and obey the voice of God. The first step as we think about hearing the Spirit of God in our lives is to simply stop and observe. If your life is like mine, it is constantly going. There is constant noise. But we must have time when we stop and we observe. The voice of God, hearing the Spirit, is all about awareness. It's awareness that His Word is living and is active. It is always at work. And it's primarily through God's Word, through the reading and studying and meditating on God's Word that we hear from God. But God also speaks from creation. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I'll give you an example of this. And this, if we learn to observe and be aware that God is constantly at work, it was this Friday, um, and I will tell you, I was super stressed about this sermon today. Stay stressed all week. I'm in Carline at Legacy picking up Hattie Jane from school. And I'm sitting in Carline for way too long, and I'm just sitting there full of anxiety, thinking about all kinds of things in the world, how I've got to solve all the problems in the world for some reason, and sitting there thinking. And I look over, don't laugh at me, and I see the grass. It's just grass around the track at Legacy. It's just grass. But then the Spirit of God began to speak to me and remind me that the heavens declare the glory of God. And, that, and, and also in Matthew 6, it says that he clothes the grass in the field, right? How much more will he take care of his children? And in that moment, the small, still voice, the Spirit of God illuminating his word in my life, I could rest and trust in God. And the, the challenge there is, is hearing the voice, right? Acknowledging the voice that God is speaking to me. The real challenge is obeying the voice of God. Let's keep going. So we observe. We hear this through creation. We hear this through other believers. Other believers help us hear the voice of God in our lives. As they point out sin to us in a loving way. As they just speak words of life and encouragement to us. I will tell you, a few weeks ago, I had a Christmas party with some friends. Um, and we... Okay, so just in case you don't know, I, I love to say encouraging words to people. That's like my thing. I love it. And at this party, we spent about 30 minutes just encouraging each other with, with words of encouragement, which may sound cheesy to you, but it was like the best day of my life. And there was this real sense that as we encourage each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage each other with the words of God, the word spoke to me. Does that make sense? The word of God was lifted to me through other brothers and sisters. So God speaks through his word. He speaks through creation. He speaks through other believers. But we must be aware and we must observe. Next, we must reflect. We must reflect. We can't just hear the word of God. We can't just say, okay, God closed the grass in the fields. Why is that jumping out to me right now? It's because I'm not trusting God right now. Does that make sense? We ask the question, why? But here's, here's the problem with reflecting. If you never in your life are stopping, if you're going 100 miles an hour every single moment of your day, you're never stopping to reflect, are you? 
you're never reflecting on that still, small voice of God. And you're just going and going and going. We must learn how to Sabbath. We just sit with God's word and ask what he's trying to say to us, why he's speaking to us. We must have times in the morning, times in the evening. We must have time with God. It's not just time reading our Bible and doing this kind of outward act. It's time of being with God. Then we discuss. We discuss with God. We discuss with other believers that are helping us and holding us accountable to what God is doing in our lives. From there, we make a plan. Here's what the problem is many times. is that we, Sometimes we hear the voice of God. This morning as we're gathered together, as we're singing songs, taking communion, hearing the word preached, God will speak to us and we'll hear that voice, but we'll leave here with no obedience. And we're still on shaky foundation, correct? We must learn to hear, but also obey. So we plan. How are we going to obey the word of God? This is very practical. How am I going to obey tomorrow what God is showing me today? From there, I need accountability. Where iron sharpens iron, where you expose the sins in my life, you help hold me accountable what God's called me to do. And finally, we act. We obey the voice of God. We must grow in this practice of hearing and obeying. This is the essence of following in the way of Jesus, is hearing and obeying his voice. Thanks, Siri. So next steps. Two things I want to encourage you to. First, remove distractions. Remove distractions from hearing the voice of God. Now, I don't know what your distraction is. But there's three things I think distract us. First is busyness. We're just too busy. We're saying yes, we're saying yes to other people, not yes to God, correct? Or we can't hear God's voice because we're so consumed with the voice of man. We are too busy. Second, we're too slothful. We don't hear the voice of God because we hear the voice of Netflix, right? We're just slothful. And last, sin. That there could be indwelling sin in your life right now that is preventing you from hearing the voice of God and seeing the Spirit at work in your life. Busyness, slothfulness, and sin distract us from the voice of God. I would encourage you to not remove, but to repent from those distractions today. And last thing, listen for the voice of God in every sphere of your life. Listen to the voice of God in every sphere of your life. If you put your faith in Christ The Holy Spirit is indwelling you. If you have not put your faith in Christ, God is moving in. For all of us today, God is moving in. He's not distant. He's not far. God is near. And as we respond with with, with hearing the voice of God, obeying through faith, God does some miraculous things. So a few weeks ago, um, Hayes, uh, my oldest son, had a messed up tooth that um, made him, I, I can't explain it, um, just a really tough child to be around. And don't think I mean, but he would just wail for hours how much his tooth hurt. I know I sound so mean right now. But here's the deal. After three days of this, like we should get together at some point, right? And we'd give Hayes medicine and he'd calm down for a while. And there was this, we'd be in the living room 
and we thought we'd hear him whimpering, and we'd be real quiet and just stop and listen for Hayes' voice. This was three days of our life, three days of li- literally listening for the crying of Hayes. That's all we were doing, and it hit me today. It is that same posture that we must have to pursue the voice of God. Not the voice of a crying child to annoy you, but the voice of the loving Father moving in. That must be the posture of those who have seen and tasted that he is good. Last thing, Michael Reeves says this. The truth is that God is already on mission. In love, the Father has sent his Son and his Spirit. It is the outworking of his very nature. That means when we go out and share the knowledge of God's great love, we reflect something very profound about who God is. For when Jesus sends us, he is allowing us to share the missional, generous, outgoing shape of God's own life. Imagine if for us in this room, hearing and responding to the voice of God was normative. If we were a people that were full with the, with the Holy Spirit indwelling us and we were sensitive to the voice of God in our lives and responding with obedience. What would happen in your life? What would happen in your family? What happened in your neighborhood, in your workplace? What could God do in one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years? Imagine the things that God could do. And I don't know, you know, where we're at today, but I just want to encourage those who might feel like they're far away from God. Whether through just kind of very shallow faith or even no faith. I just want to tell you today, God is moving in. But the pattern of history is not a distant, faraway God. It's a loving God moving closer and closer to us, even in spite of our rebellion. And there's good news for you today. That if you simply see that God is good and trust him and love him, put your faith in him and give your life to him, he will indwell you with himself where there is fullness of joy and life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for, thank you for your cross. It's in your cross that we see the greatest act of love this world has ever seen. Father, forgive us for making smaller things the point of our life. Lord, I ask you to speak to us today. Give us the faith and the love and the trust to respond with obedience today. And let you receive all the glory from our response today. Uh, We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we respond through communion where we partake in the body and the blood of our Savior. Uh, This act is not for those who do not follow Jesus. So if you don't call Jesus your Savior, please just take a moment and reflect at your chair. But if you today put your faith in Christ, come and partake. Come with the reality and the realization that God paid the ultimate price for your rebellion, but that God keeps moving in and God came near through Jesus and now indwells us today. When you're ready, I'll be in the back. You're gonna pray with me.